1: Okay. Hello. Greetings. Um. Uh. Pat the bunny. Yours. Uh. Wingnut dishwasher union members. Ghost Mice, uh-oh, shouldn't say that one. Um, what else? What other folk punk references do I have off the head?
2: Andrew Jackson, Jihadists. Oh. <laughs>
3: for a second, I thought these were names for our fans.
2: <laughs> you know, right, no, only, for, only for this episode. No, these are just bands that have been canceled. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, <laughs> got it. Many but, yeah. of them, Right. Write...
1: I'm, I'm trying to be uh, folk punk Mark Marin right now is what I'm trying to do. What's up, Ghost Micers? What's up? Against
3: yourselves? Yeah,
1: that's pretty good. (laughs) Um, Hello, welcome to the show. It's finally happening. The long mythologized PDA episode on folk punk and nothing else is happening. Um, (laughs) Let's think about it this way. If you hate this thing that I like, I'm doing it once so that I never have to talk about it again on this podcast. I have mentioned my love of folk punk on this show a few times and it's become, I think, kind of imbued in our uh, lore and Like, people, sometimes when I'm on tour, someone came up to me one time and they were like, hey, Jake, I have a message from my friend they want to tell you. And then they showed me a phone and it was their friend saying, please tell Jake that folk punk sucks. Uh, (laughs) So so there's enough of this in our universe to where I think it warrants an episode. And uh, (laughs) I'm so glad to i uh, be talking to a few different people today about this, uh, first and foremost, great musician that I uh, saw on a Zoom Anarchist Festival that I was on recently. Uh, I saw her set and quite enjoyed it, and it um, happens that the, she's r- wrote a great album that is coming out today that has all sorts of themes that overlap with our show. So Evan Greer, welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: Uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. So let's talk a little bit about folk punk as a concept, because I know (laughs) I I don't mean to make you representative for the entire thing or anything like that, but I just, (laughs) I learned a little bit about you and found out that you were in this thing called the Riot Folk Collective. Did I get that right? I always mix it up in my head, folk riot or riot folk.
2: (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, it's funny, you know, to, to even think about it, because I so, I, I mean, I totally was. Or, or you know, was among the people that m- helped make folk punk a thing. and like I might I have maybe some regrets. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I think there's like a lot of folk punk that that maybe doesn't hold up or whatever. but to me, like what it was really about was like uh, like both the the traditions of punk and of folk music both had this radical thread running through them, right? And I took sort of a funny roundabout path to punk myself, like, I got into music in high school. I stole all my dad's old, like sixties records. And like the songs that jumped out at me were like the songs about like the Vietnam war or about like the civil rights movement. And um, it was like, it just kind of blew my mind. I'd never really thought about the fact that you could use songs or music as uh, to like say something other than like, I love you or like, I miss you or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and I just got like obsessed. And so then I got into like Phil Oaks and Joan Baez and, uh you know Buffy St. Marie and like that, you know, and that like led, you know, Phil Oakes' Love Me, I'm a Liberal was like oh, what yeah. made me realize I wasn't a liberal yeah, and rules. opened my mind, you know. And then it was through that that I started finding like anti flag and Against Me and Crass and Bikini Kill and Pansy Division and Team Drash. And you know, so I sort of I found punk rock through folk music in a way. But in the end I feel like the fundamentals of both genres are kind of the same. It's like you have three or four chords and you say what you mean um and (laughs) uh you know i think folk punk is kind of cool because it it sort of embodies that like original value of punk that like you don't have to be awesome at your instrument you don't have to like you know have a super fancy guitar sound system like just you know get a few friends together and like scream about what you're mad about. Um, and you know, the thing that I feel like it it, like was a problem with folk punk is it like removed that final barrier of like, you have to have two friends and now just like any like white cis dude with an acoustic guitar thinks that they can be a band. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, but for me, I didn't, I never had enough friends to have a band. So it was awesome. Um, and yeah, but, but quickly I, that was a digression, but so the riot folk collective was like a group of, you know, mostly anarchist, um, Uh, folk musicians that came together in like the early 2000s um, and tried to create kind of an alternative to the record label model. So we didn't have a record label, but we collectivized some of the income from our music and used it to to put out releases. And this was like way before Spotify. So we were basically like we used archive.org as the back end for our website. And like that's where we hosted all the like wave files because we didn't have enough like hosting (laughs) capacity to do it. And we were just like throwing stuff up there for free and then letting people donate. And, um, you know, it sort of did help kind of spearhead this like alternative model um, of, of how artists could try to support each other collectively. Um, and, and yeah, super cool. And, and lots of those folks are still out there making music. Uh, Ryan Harvey, Brenna Sahachian, uh, Adam Rowland. So, uh, the riotfolk.org website has been deceased for a number of years, but all that stuff is still out there kind of in the ether, which is, I guess, a cool thing about the internet.
1: Yeah. I saw that the riotfolk.org website is a Japanese dating site. As of, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I think we, you know, I, it, it is very folk punk, I guess that like we ran out of money and like didn't pay. To get the domain (laughs) renewed at some point, and then and so now, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, there there is something so so natural and yet so unnatural about the fusion of folk and punk. Like, I think the first time I encountered it, part of me was like, "How'd this happen?" And then part of me was like, "Of course, because these two things are so intuitive. They're very intuitive to me. Like, I don't, I don't go out of my way to really adopt values that would be considered attributable to these things in the way that some people often, you know." Will put on whatever as like a costume or an affectation, or whatever. this is just how I think. And like as a comic, I don't really operate in a purely like careerist way, and I, I think it makes me a, like an anomaly in my industry. But it's very, it's very much like all this stuff. Like, yeah, why, why would you? You don't need a record label. Just print your own damn thing. You know, uh, sleep on a you know fucking bench outside the show if that's the only way you're gonna get to the next town or whatever. All you know, it's weird. There's like kind of a common thread. Ethically, between all this stuff um, that relates to even like how you make it as the artist, where it's very much for just the sake of what you're saying rather than the you know fitting into the paradigm of like I'm gonna be a famous you know <laughs> pop star or whatever. Um, and I think the first time I ever like I encountered like this type of music, I yeah, it just it, it spoke to me pretty clearly, and I immediately was like, oh, right. There's, there, like, when you hang out in punk circles, there's there's different Pokemons, there's, like, different types of uh, <laughs> combinations of elements of people going on. Some people are just there to party and stuff, but there's always, mm. if you hang out at the punk house long enough, you and, like, one other guy who knows a lot about Noam Chomsky and shit is, like, up all night. And then, yeah, you've got these, like, intellectual, like, heavy, heavy, heavy anarchist leanings, I guess is kind of what I'm getting at. And... Yeah. It all kind of makes sense now. I think it really I, I saw it embodied when I uh, I remember distinctively seeing a guy wearing a like a leather jacket that had a painted skeleton on the back that said folk the world and he was fussing like, <laughs> yep. and stuff and I was like, "Okay, this is a thing." <laughs> um so I I yeah, I think I get it. Um so you came out of that collective. So that was like 10 years ago in the sort of anarchist you know, scene that came out of like the, the 1999 uh, Seattle protests and stuff like that.
2: And then went through like the bush. (sighs) You're telling everyone that I'm old is what you're doing. (laughs) And, you know, that is, that is a faux pas with Uh, lady (laughs) musicians on your podcast. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. It's that, you know, that late nineties, like Seattle WTO anti-globalization movement era, you know, and also the like Earth and Animal Liberation activism was really hot then. You know, like the ELF and ALF were the number two domestic terror threat according to the FBI. You know, so also in the kind of coming out of that history of like repression, you know, of like a, a time in the movement when just like lots of people knew somebody who'd like gotten arrested or had the FBI knocking their door, or um, you know, kind of like you know, born out of that that era very much. Yeah. Um,
1: that happened to um, yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> same.
2: <laughs> um, so yeah, but um, but it's funny now because I it's you know I think like the music I make now is is aesthetically really different, right? Like it's much more like kind of indie rock. Like there's lots right. of layers of electric guitars and like pretty harmonies and things like that. And and I guess but it's like at the core, it's still sort of the same. It's about like how do we communicate this message in a way that people can hear it. Um, and, like, relate to it, not just on an ideological level, but on, like, an emotional level, which is how you, like, reach people who, like, aren't just, like, the folks who already kind of agree with you and, like, have your lyrics tattooed on their arm or whatever. Um, and, like, yeah, it's been cool, especially, like, the process of recording at home and, and like, the quarantine, basically, um, made me kind of, like, rethink how I, how I like, make music. Um, and so that's been kind of cool, too. But um, But, yeah, the new record is... If, if you're a folk punk fan, you might get disappointed because there's just like not a lot of folk punk on it, there's, but it, it still has that at its root, you know?
1: Banging on an acoustic guitar and screaming <laughs> about Teenage Revolution and stuff. Uh, no, no, I mean, I, I listen to it. I, uh, your music and I, I, I think I understand the direction. So uh, I'm not a folk punk purist, but, but I don't, I, uh, I don't want to dwell too much on the... the you're not ob- going
3: to get uh, like Bob Dylan, people in England getting really mad
2: at you <laughs> for going electric? <laughs> Maybe. Well, so, I kid.
3: not to not
1: not to dwell too much on the uh, uh like the you know the obvious like cultural touchstone or reference or whatever, but that kind of happened. That Bob Dylan electric thing kind of happened <laughs> with, like, with Against Me, who was like an anarcho folk punky band, and then, you know, kind of threw some pop in there at one point, And some of the hardcore purist fans, you know. We're like, "Hey, man, you used to play crusty music. What the hell, man? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, but I but I bring that up because, like, yeah, so I I really enjoy your new music, and also like I was listening to it around the same time as sort of like Mel Stone and <laughs> some of the you know the newer Laura Jane Grace stuff, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. All this stuff sort of naturally kind of seems to tend in like this really interesting like power poppy kind of direction. I don't know if that's the right term, uh, but like the production, you know, once you you introduce that into the element, you've got this like really cool anthemic like powerful. Um, mm-hmm. like cathartic kind of sound and i think he's really cool um it's almost like you know it's just naturally overlaps with like singer-songwriter type tendencies i guess i'm not yeah. really
2: sure but i feel like some of it is technology too because it's like the stuff i'm making now is what i always wanted the songs to sound like i just didn't have you know but there was i didn't have access to like a recording studio or something like that and now it's like you can everyone can buy a like hundred dollar microphone. And like, I recorded the whole album in GarageBand. like all the guitar sounds on this album are just like default GarageBand plugins. And it sounds great. You know what I mean? And so just like that democ, you know, yeah. it's like the double edged sword of technology, right? Like there's the like surveillance capitalism and big tech and all of the bullshit that like, you know, we can talk about in a minute, but then there's also this like huge democratizing effect, right? Where it just like puts this power back into our hands and kind of allows us to own the means of production um, for, for creative output anyway, which is pretty awesome.
1: That is an excellent point. Yeah, it would actually, in 2021, to be playing just the crazy, angry acoustic guitar music, that would almost be like an affectation at this point. Like, I want it to sound really like lo-fi or
2: something like that. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, yeah. It's like music evolves with culture, you know, so <laughs> we don't have to stay. I may be stuck in the early 2000s, like pop punk forever, but like, you don't have to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, go go
3: ahead. Uh, well, one place that I feel like you're maybe not stuck is uh, the 80s, which I'm kind of curious about, because I, I just read this book about like punk in the 80s. And it seems like that's sort of the beginning, sort of not of like the DIY ethic and stuff. But it, it feels like a big difference between like i guess when you were coming up is uh like things were political but they were like anti-reagan uh and that was kind of it it was political but without being really ideological um was there a point at which you feel like the punk or folk punk sort of changed into having more like a a political education behind it and and sort of a, a clearer like ideological bent
2: you know, I, I kind of think it's, like, there's always been pockets, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can go back as far as, like, um, you know, like, the Digger songs and, like, worker uprisings in, like, the 1600s and, like, you yeah. know. I mean, like, people have been, like, singing, you know, making, like, revolutionary music for, like, sen- literal centuries, right? Uh-huh. And I think, like, you know... It, it's partly like just, like, how history gets written, right? And we're kind of shoved to this idea that, like, there was a bunch of, like, cool revolutionary music in the 60s and 70s, and then we, like, skipped the 80s, and then there was, like, Nirvana, and then there was Public Enemy, and, like, now we're here, or something like that. Yeah. And it's, like, you know, to a certain extent that's true, but, like, I... Um, Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there definitely were, I mean, like crass, you know, who are like the quintessential, like anarcho punk band, um, from the UK and like they've operated as a collective, you know, economically actually very similar to the riot folk collective. And we definitely took a lot of our stuff from them and they were, you know, they were very much like a late eighties into the nineties, um, band, uh, you know, bikini kill obviously, and like x-ray specs and, I mean, so there was definitely a lot going on. You know, it's just a matter of like, did it bubble up into the mainstream the way right. that we've seen political music start to bubble up into the mainstream in some of these other eras? But, but yeah, I think, and then it's like, but yeah, you can look back, like there's this band Um, that my friend Bev Grant was in in the, like, late 60s, early 70s called The Human Condition, and, like, I have one of her albums, and, like, in the liner notes is, like, this little manifesto, and, like, Riot Folk's whole motto was, like, making folk a threat again, which is, like, a play off the, you know... um, whatever it was, uh, Alternative Tentacles, you know, making punk a threat again. Yeah. And they have this, like, whole, like, manifesto in their album that's, like, why this album is a threat to the system. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it, like, this was decades ago. And so it's cool to see that, like... You know, there's always been this current of like radical musicians who are going beyond just like singing about the war or like singing about like a specific like mm-hmm. bad politician or whatever, and like are trying to use their music to get at the more systemic issues or push for more radical or revolutionary or structural change. Um, and like we tend to find each other, you know, and so yeah. you know, but you but if you're looking back at history, you might not like just see that unless you you know kind of can look figure out where to dig. Um, I guess is what I'd say.
1: That makes sense. I remember reading at one point, like, kind of a basic observation about, no, like, ma- mainstream, normal, bougie, like, culture. And, like, where uh, – I was reading about poetry in college. just taking a poetry class. And this professor explained, like, you know, the reason this all, all came about, the reason, like, kind of these bougie, you know, rich people that, like, were all poets in the early Romantic era and stuff like that is because – First, you had the oral tradition. Like the reason things rhyme and are in meter is because, in order to tell these stories, you'd pass them around by memorizing them, and then like they're able to put them into print. So it makes sense that there's a staggered effect where even after there's an established like mainstream, like okay, you're allowed to print things, you've still got information you're not really allowed to put into mainstream culture, which is like revolutionary ideas and stuff like that. So they're it's still things that we have to pass around through mediums like, um, you know, like we're not literally going around chanting at each other to to tell, a you know, an epic poem about a revolution or something. But we make music, right? Makes sense. I don't know if that was kind of a galaxy yeah. brain point, but I <laughs>
2: no, Yeah. Well, and it's funny, too, how, like, you know, just capitalism is so good at turning everything into a commodity, right? Like I, I and I'm, I'm about to put them on blast, but like, you know, I, I did some press around the album. I sent blasts out. And I specifically, I pitched like somebody at billboard and they were like, Oh, you should send this to like billboard pride. Cause this is like their department. And I was like, Oh, so because I'm a trans artist, like, you know, it just immediately is like, this has to be there. And it's like, that's, you know, I mean, that's yeah. That's the genre like, of music. Right. You know, and it's like, uh, you know, sure, like some of the songs are about being trans or about the you know, LGBT issues. And like it would be fine for them to cover it. But just like the way that like capitalism just sort of like divides up and everything is about kind of like branding and marketing. And it's like, oh, like, you know, how can we spin this as like queer pop punk or like this or that? Um, And so even the way it can commodify our identities. Right. Um, And like, yeah. So I don't know. I think that that touches on what you what you said just in terms of like the impact that that has on like how we see ourselves or how we view the art that we create um, I think is interesting as well um, and you know and then particularly when you start to think about something like Spotify which is doing that at this kind of algorithmic scale, right. Where they're like trying to infer as much information about you as they possibly can and use it to like shove music down your throat that like they think you want to listen to. And they're, and like, it's pretty good at it, right? Like the algorithm kind of like gets you and then you're like, Oh, I kind of like this algorithm, but you forget that what it's doing is basically like emotional surveillance. It's like Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what you like. And it's not just, like listening to you and giving you back what you want it's also pushing you a little bit and it starts to like nudge you in a certain direction the same way that like we know that like facebook prioritizes certain types of content because it generates advertising revenue and it's like creepy to me to think about how that will impact like the future of art and music like you know humans have been making music for like thousands and thousands of years and it freaks me out to think about a future where, like, we're making music to please some, like, cold-blooded algorithm instead of, like, <laughs> to create an emotional connection with each other.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because you have this new album out called Spotify as Surveillance. And I read a little bit about what it, I think it's centered around, which is this new patent that – uh, uh, Spotify is trying to acquire that does exactly this and sort of will be if I'm understand to understand what I read correctly Spotify's trying to purchase like a, a thing that they put into Spotify that like can tell what mood you're in through the abstract nature of the music that you're listening to and then it's like you're listening to a lot of blues here's an advertisement for some whiskey uh, you know stuff like that um, uh, yeah g- please
2: explain <laughs> yeah for sure so it's funny, actually, because I actually decided to title the album Spotify as Surveillance before I found out about that patent. Wow. Because, again, in a, in a lot of ways, they're already doing this, right? Like, they they collect your data the same way that, like, Facebook or YouTube does. They're, like, making inferences about you based on what you listen to or they're trying to figure out, you know, your age, your demographics, like, maybe even your political leanings based on, you know, your music. And then they use that to recommend music and ads. This patent is to actually and I can't believe that this is real but they want to literally listen to your conversations and potentially you know monitor what you're saying and then use artificial intelligence voice recognition software to analyze that audio stream and try to infer your mood. Uh, so, like, are they talking angrily? Uh, did we hear a keyword <laughs> like "I'm so depressed"? Let's give this kid some more Elliot Smith. It's what they need, you know. Oh. <laughs> um, again, potentially political leanings. You know, did I hear the word Trump? Did I hear the word, uh, you know, whatever? <laughs> Um, and so it's they're not just going to be listening to what you're saying, but then they're also going to be using AI to analyze it, and then trying to use that to recommend music to you. And again, this is just a patent at this point, so I'm sure what Spotify will say. And you know, they they like gave a statement like this to Pitchfork whenever this originally kind of came out. It's like, oh well, look, we file patents for lots of things, but like that doesn't mean we're necessarily going to use it. But, you know, they've clearly shown this is the type of direction they're heading in, you know, Fight for the Future, which is the organization that I work with, along with the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers, who are a group of independent musicians that formed in the wake of the pandemic, um, and then running a campaign targeting Spotify over the shitty wages that they pay musicians um, you know, we launched a campaign with the video for the song Surveillance Capitalism yesterday that's calling on them to distance themselves from this patent and basically commit to never using this technology. And literally the same day, Spotify rolled out um, a, like, Alexa-like, hey, Spotify feature so you can, like, activate Spotify from across the room and be like, hey, Spotify, play the Beatles or whatever. Um, and so it's clear they're, like, heading in this direction where, like, they want to be like Amazon. They want to be, you know, in this game of, like, You know kind of always there for you in giving surveillance as convenience um is basically the model that they're pushing and it's it's a dangerous one for privacy for human rights and and frankly for security it just creates this enormous attack surface the more the more apps we have on our phones and devices that we grant kind of endless permission to our microphone and camera um, the bigger attack surface that is for law enforcement, for, uh, you know, creeps and uh, low lives of the world to come after you and, and try and uh, listen to what you're saying or doing.
3: It's so surreal to be like reading about this stuff or like watching videos about it. And then you'll see on your computer like, hey, you must like this. Uh, you might like this book by Shoshana Zuboff about surveillance capitalism. <laughs> or check out Evan Greer's it's... album about the thing that you're terrified about right now that I'm doing to you. Uh, yeah, but like, is there that. a like uh, what What do you think the solution to this is? Because I mean, it's obviously uh, kind of hard to conceive of. Um, but like, is there a way that the the algorithm could be you know protected from the surveillance state and like just used to connect people for for you know their uh for good for be- for lack of a better term or or is it just like we just need to get rid of this stuff and just completely go back to where people are. You know, browsing things and finding things on their own and trying to connect things themselves without the help of an algorithm.
2: Yeah, I I think it's both, right? Like, I believe in harm reduction, and so I think it's there are things that we can do right now from a policy perspective, um, and also just from like a corporate campaigning perspective. Like, I think it's awesome that union musicians and allied workers are just like directly demanding that Spotify pay them more, and just say, you know, no, fuck you, you're a bajillion dollar company, just pay artists more right now. Um, And so that, like, mitigates the harm, you know, in the, like, right now. Um, But then, you know, I think beyond that, we need things like, you know, finally having Congress pass a federal data privacy law that would, like, you know, just limit the amount of data that corporations can harvest about us um, in the first place would be a step in the right direction. But in the end, yeah, it's like we totally need to build Decentralized, community-based alternatives to these surveillance capitalists, big tech giants, um, and it, you know, there no amount of harm reduction or legislation or whatever is going to fundamentally change the fact that you know the business model of Facebook and YouTube and Spotify and Amazon is like fundamentally incompatible with like the future of humanity, mm-hmm. um, and is like a parasitic business model um, that can't be. Fixed, And so I do think in the end, uh, the solution is we need to replace them and we need to build alternatives um, and fight for and demand alternatives. And one of the things I'm most worried about, and, and um, you know, Jake, this could like dovetail us into Section 230 yeah, a little like bit, that. is like that because people are so freaked out by the like kind of residual effects of this surveillance capitalist business model that we might push toward policies That actually end up solidifying Mm. the monopoly power of the largest companies and kind of killing off uh, the potential for those decentralized uh, community-based alternatives to come along um and and basically that is what i see as potentially happening that like i think one of the most likely scenarios coming out of this kind of like back and forth in congress about big tech and disinformation and, uh, you know, democracy and blah, 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 is that we get some like creepy legislation deal that's like brokered by Facebook, basically, so that Congress can say, look, we did something about big tech. It's like regulations that Facebook can figure out how to comply with. They don't care if it means that they censor a bunch of folks on the left or, you know, like end up impacting the human rights of folks like sex workers or others that have been disproportionately harmed by previous changes to internet legislation. Um, And then it kills off the... like wikipedias and reddits and discords and signals of the world um, and leaves facebook and google as like the only ones left standing Um, i think that's actually like a likely scenario unless we fight for and demand um, policies that rein in and mitigate the harm of the big tech companies while leaving space for us to build something better which is in the end what i think we really need
1: yeah, it's really confusing. I mean, we talk about the, the Sesta Fosta stuff and the Section two thirty stuff a lot on this show and uh, we just mm-hmm. did recently and uh, it's it's interesting because you find yourself making strange bedfellows with a lot of hardcore libertarians and like chan freaks and stuff like that over this sort of stuff, but it's uh it just is what it is, you know? I mean I just watched that HBO QAnon documentary that came out, and a big thrust of that story was that the 8chan people that hosted Q and ostensibly were Q or were friends with whoever watch the documentary, it's like unclear, but uh, they like they were against the uh, the dissolvement of section 230, or or the yeah, section 230, the bill that made the internet or whatever, uh, because like it would also infringe upon their right to do what they're doing. So it's really kind of hard. It, I, my brain goes and swirls when I try to piece this stuff apart, but it does seem like, yeah, ultimately, what's weird is, like, Trump and Biden were both for overthrowing this, or over, over what's the word? I'm, my brain's not working. Over Repealing it, from, yeah. Repealing re- Section yeah. 230, yeah. yeah. And it seems like the reason being is that it ultimately would lead to, um, yeah, like a, a monopolization situation, where you just don't really have the, sure you don't have like the wild west so you don't have the bad guys out there you know but you also don't have a place where sex workers can host you know what they do and uh, and and frankly just people that make stuff like us can you know host our own yeah. content now we suddenly we're just at the whims of uh, you know these big huge platforms again so ultimately yeah no that the democratization of the internet it's like
2: it's very sacred and something that looks like we might lose yeah, totally. Well, and what's funny with two with Section 230, too, is, like, um, again, it, it, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like, it's both what allows platforms to host user-generated content, and it's what allows them to take them down. So, like, if you're one of those people who is, like, I want Facebook to remove all the bad stuff, like, Section 230, like, killing Section 230 doesn't help, basically, in either direction. Um, but I, I think to your other point, it's, like, there is something about this embedded in this that is about elites being freaked out by the fact that like the rest of us have a voice now you know and yeah. and just being kind of like you know when i hear stuff about like disinformation etc i'm like i don't think that the world was a better place when like fox news cnn and the new york times got to define reality yeah. i'm like yeah there are some like that ba- like we're seeing some of the like negative ramifications of that disruption with like crazy shit like QAnon and like the MAGA crowd and whatever but like we shouldn't forget the like really positive elements too where like a movement like defund the police that was so marginal before has become like really mainstream and is like getting talked about in a serious way um the idea of abolishing ICE is like You know, there are like like sitting members of Congress that have signed up for abolishing ICE. That was unthinkable, like not that long ago. And that is in part because of the way that the internet has given ordinary folks more of a voice than ever before. And so I think as we're crafting policies, um, I just think it's like so important that we focus on how do we address the harms without blowing up, like or without like locking in the status quo. Because I think that's another thing is like part of this is about like, you know, a little bit of like a liberal, like, I just want to go back to the way things were before Trump, you know, um, vibe. And it's like, no, that's an unacceptable status quo. We need something better than that. And so let's fight for policies that lead us toward a better world, not just, you know, going back to normal, quote unquote, right? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I've thought about this a lot. And I think ultimately, like, there is just yeah, I, I think it's a kind of a fantasy to think that you can even put the genie back in the bottle at this point. Like, even if you really regulated the shit out of the internet and suddenly there was no longer uh, an 8chan and a 4chan and all this place for like, the those Nazis to hang out, that's really just a papering over of the problem because all of the structural anxieties and things and, you know, weird misplaced, uh, you know, anger and hatred and stuff that that it's coming out of those people that manifests itself in like this QAnon stuff and all these horrible social ills will still exist it just won't be as organized and isn't ultimately the problem to, the the goal to alleviate the thing at the base level of society that creates stuff like that to begin with you know um and yeah, yeah. I also Yeah, I so the internet's just a fucking neutral thing. Like for every terrible thing that comes out of it, something great comes out of it. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't want to lose any of this stuff either.
2: You know. Yeah. Well, and I I think that's what's it like. That also just goes back to the the critique of surveillance capitalism, right? Because it's like the internet is awesome, but Facebook has done a good job of convincing us that like Facebook is the internet, and the difference between Facebook and YouTube and the rest of the internet is that it's not just like a message board where people can say what they want, right? They're actively putting their thumb on the scale by, you know, harvesting our data and using that to algorithmically amplify certain content and suppress other content. And so, you know, it's like that's at the root of the harm. Like when people are like, you know, Facebook is, like, doing this or that or the other thing, I I think we tend to, like, obsess over, like, specific speech. And it's like, why did they take this down? Why didn't they take this down? And what we need to do is look under the hood at, like, the actual mechanics of their business and see how that's, like the thing that's like actually screwing things up. And like, um, that's the thing that we need to fix and replace and, you know, burn to the ground. Um, you know, not the internet itself, or like the concept that like, there should be a place where people can say what they want. Um, and, you know, I think that's, um, you know, that's an important distinction.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, what I keep thinking about, I, I haven't really, this is probably a good Place to mention this on the show. I've been meaning to talk about this on the show at some point because I think it's really funny. I um, I think specifically just because our our phones are listening to us and uh, we're yelling about capitalism and stuff a lot on the show and revolution. I don't know what's going on, but my Facebook has been advertising to me for the last like six months to a year. Just this really eclectic, strange mix of like bulletproof vests and like Lisa Frank kitten shirts and stuff. (laughs) I don't. I want a Lisa Frank
2: bulletproof vest. It's inevitable. Where do I get one of those?
1: (laughs) Yeah, like stuff like that keeps popping up, and I'm like, and it all it really ramped up right up leading to January sixth, and I was like, why does Facebook think I'm one of these people? Right, because I talk about them a lot, and it can't differentiate. between positively and negatively talking about something it just knows that you're talking about something but do either of y'all get weird advertisements just given the nature of what we're all doing
3: yeah i, I mean i know there are like there there are there is like gear out there specifically for like anti-fascist uh protesters i I remember like one point i had a friend who like bought some things like yeah this is specially made for this i ordered it for like 200 dollars like a black kevlar vest but it's only for left-wing stuff (laughs) uh uh, so yeah i mean i so i try to like like random stuff so my algorithm gets quite confused. So like, you know, Monsanto, or maybe whatever. We, yeah, we could do ad buster stuff.
1: Where yeah, yeah. Individually.
2: <laughs> what, what's super crazy is, is at least based on my understanding of the mechanics of, of a lot of this stuff is like, I mean, yes, like you should always assume that your phone could be used as a listening device, particularly by law enforcement. But in terms of like the companies, most of them are not actually like doing the thing we were talking about with Spotify yet in terms of like actually listening to you and using it to run ads. It's actually like creepier and more insidious than that in the sense that like they almost know you better than you know yourself. So like let's say like, you know, you're talking about buying a bed with like your partner or something like that and then you see an ad for a bed and you're like oh that's crazy like they heard me it's like even creepier it's like they saw the post that you did two weeks ago where you're like man my back hurts or like i'm tired or like whatever or like they saw that you were over on some other website like looking at something and then they piece together and like they know that you want to buy a bed before you know that you want to buy a bed which is like actually Creep, like in a weird way, creepier than like they're actually listening to you. It's like this big, da- it's like the the amount that they can use data to not just infer what we want, but like um, affect what we want or what we think is, like, is staggering. And, like, that's, again, at, at the kind of the root of the harm of, like, that surveillance-based business model. Did
1: you ever hear about uh, how women were figuring out they were pregnant because Target was advertising to them, like, pregnancy stuff before they even Yeah, knew exactly. <laughs> yep. Crazy. Oh, my God. Well, um, you know, maybe we can build a better algorithm that tells people that they want to listen to Spotify's Surveillance, the new album, by every yeah. You
2: know?
1: <laughs> because <laughs> i think that uh that they do and they just don't know yet or they do know it maybe you do if you're listening to our show you probably are you know a, a freaky anarchist weirdo um who listens to cool music um cool is there anything else you'd like to talk about regarding the new album or um should we just get into it and play some music or something
2: yeah. Go for it. Play some music and yeah, that, you know, be awesome. Love to hear what folks think. I, I, like I said, I pretty much recorded it myself in my bedroom. So <laughs> it's nice to finally have it out in the world and, um, and hear what folks think. And, um, yeah. Um, you know, excited to, to kind of launch the campaigns around it and, and keep pushing on Spotify and, and yeah, thanks for having me on and and chatting with me about it.
1: Where can yeah. our listeners uh, find you and listen to the album and everything?
2: Yeah. I mean, find me on Twitter, uh, at, Evan underscore Greer, you know, you, you can listen to the album on Spotify if you must. Um, but, uh, you know, Bandcamp uh, is my, is my favorite and you can always get it from the record label, get better records or Don Giovanni records who are both awesome, independent record labels. A bunch of my favorite bands, um, are, are on those labels and, um, and yeah, Um, and big shout out to, to Michael flowers who made the video for surveillance capitalism, which is super awesome. Um, definitely check that out as well. And that's the one that we're using to push that stop Spotify surveillance.org, uh, petition to Spotify. So you can go there to take action as well.
1: Cool. All right. Well, how about we swing into that song then? eh? cool. Cool. All right. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you. Thanks y'all. Yeah.
2: Appreciate it. Take care.
3: We live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. So did the divine right of king.
2: Once consent was manufactured. Now it's harvested for clicks. Algorithms make decisions,
0: filter bubbles make us sick,
2: we're all connected to machines Hate every second but we just can't look away, we all want to be seen but behind the screen There's a nightmare dressed up as a dream, and we can't wake up
0: Private company
2: more power and more
0: information on life than govern Without any sort of infrastructure, to hold them accountable. Every thought, every emotion. Body is a business model in
2: which users don't no take your service. Chartered, processed,
1: optimized. Senator, we run out. I
2: live in expression.
3: Yeah, wake up. There's a difference between knowing something and doing something about it. We assume that there should be a prison system,
2: there should be a surveillance apparatus. I think that these assumptions need to be questioned. An infinite
0: playground, a library, human creativity. They paved it over, put up walls. Now it's billboards, big box shopping malls. Paid every
3: second, but we
0: just can't look away. We all wanna be seen, but behind the screen, there's a nightmare dressed up as a dream. And we can't wake up. Neither math nor machines can extract four centuries of white supremacy. we can't wake up. Neither math Can extract more centuries of white supremacy from American policing. Simply inserting digital technologies into discriminatory policing without addressing its fundamental flaws can only serve to supersize that discrimination, can only serve to reduce community safety, and can only violate the civil rights of the most vulnerable among us. Nothing else can happen.
1: Okay, that was the new track from Ever Greer, everyone. Uh, let's do a little micro episode between talking to musicians, Anders Lee. What's on? Uh, what's going on this week?
3: Well, it's it's bad news on the labor front. Uh, Bessemer, right, is a super, more like Bummer bummermer, uh, is what I'm saying. Nice. It's, it's, it's affected, it's so negative, it's affected our capacity to make jokes, and yeah. <laughs> make, to stop ourselves from making terrible puns. Um, but the, the sad truth of this, of the loss, which it looks like is a pretty big loss, is uh, that I'm reading an article by Jane McAlevey, which I'd really recommend uh, in The Nation. And what she says is, unfortunately, this was kind of like to be expected based on the strategy. Uh, you know, obviously, it's impossible to separate out the anti-union, you know, system that we have. It's, the system is entirely stacked against unionization. The uh, just just scorched earth tactics that union busters use. Um, so there's a very small window, unfortunately, to organize something like this. But uh, McAlevey has some really good points about how, Like, it's great that, you know, people uh, were talking about this nationwide. Um, You know, we talked about it on our show, right? But ultimately, that kind of creates a false impression that it's like a a done deal, you know? I think I remember hearing and thinking that, like, uh, well, Amazon is is just, the game's already over. They've already lost. Just things are so bad. Uh, the unions feel like there's no other, the employees feel like there's no other option but to unionize. And unfortunately that, that was kind of over, that was really overblown. Um, and there were a lot of things that should have been taken into consideration. And this is her analysis that, uh, basically there, there was not an accurate count of the amount of workers. Uh, there was also a lack of like structure tests. So a really key thing in unionization drives is to uh get people to commit publicly to joining the union and of course that comes with a cost right that's a very scary thing to do for a lot of people um as we've been talking about on the show Uh, amazon is at the forefront of surveillance um and surveilling their own employees um but unfortunately that's that's really the only way you're gonna win Uh, And if if it doesn't get to the point when you can't get enough people to publicly commit, if you can't get a majority of workers to publicly commit to voting yes, then it's probably not going to win. So you're better off just not doing it, I guess, is her her conclusion. Uh, And there are also some other really important key points that like house visits are super important. Um, There's COVID going on. Right. So it's that was, you know, a rationale for, for not doing it and for organizing outside the plant. But when you're outside the plant or the warehouse, uh, the company is monitoring you directly, right? They have the counter, their own counter propaganda when the workers enter. Um, so what you really need to do, according to McAlemy, is, is make house calls, go to people's homes, bring the hand sanitizer, wear a mask, and talk to them about uh, the benefits of, of unionizing. And uh, not so much Emphasis on, on the union, but emphasis on workers coming together. Um, and, you know, so it's a very sad situation. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm a silver linings guy, but it's it's hard to find one from, from this vote. I do think that hopefully these are lessons that are going to be applied in the future. So if anybody is interested in union organizing, uh, please read... No shortcuts, which is Jane McAlevey's book about how to go about things like this, because it's a hard fight, you know. And every in every scenario, you're going to have reasons where, like, ah, oh, well, the structure test might not be a good idea in our in our uh, situation, but you got to do it. Unfortunately, that's that's the way uh, she has, you know, determined that this is the way you you do it. This is the way you unionize. You get majority unity. Uh, you inoculate the workers against the anti-union propaganda. And as we were talking about on the show, uh, this was kind of a misconception I had, I guess, or just kind of a, an, an idea, which is about the right to work stuff. Because because Alabama is a right to work state, they don't actually have to pay union dues. So that was an argument. And what I felt was an effective argument at the time ag- against the anti-union stuff was like, well, because it's a right to work state, the union due stuff doesn't actually apply. Uh, in reality, I was wrong about that. You actually do want to uh, be clear on what the union dues do and what their function is and why you should pay them if you if you unionize. So, uh, I mean, it can be kind of appealing to, to cling to that sort of uh, counterpoint to the anti-union people, but at the end of the day, you need people to pay dues and – That's You need to make the argument to them that it's going to benefit them economically uh, overall um, instead of not having a union, right? And the way you do that, according to McAlevey, is asking them questions when you're organizing one-on-one, just having a hard conversation and asking them to elaborate on why they think the company is trying to push them in a certain direction and they end up answering their own sort of questions.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, uh, that's pretty depressing, but I suppose yeah. there's a ray of optimism shining out of that. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. But
3: there's other, uh, I think someplace in, there's a college in New Jersey that just unionized. There's it, like this was a high profile drive because it was Amazon and this would have been a huge deal. Um, and I think at some point we're going to be able to do this. Uh
1: yeah, no, no one never said unionizing in the reddest state in the country against the most gigantic evil company on earth is going to be an easy thing, you know?
3: Right, right. But we should remember that there are other uh, drives happening in other places. Uh, in the in Vermont, the Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals uh, just unionized um, technologists in... Uh, in Vermont as well, um, like I, th- I believe a college in New Jersey, you would united the uh, academics as well as the staff and unionized. So this stuff is happening, right? It, it sucks that we lost this one, and by we I mean I guess the left. But uh, there's there's a lot of good work happening out there, um, and eventually I do think this is doable.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's just what. That's just how this goes. It's just you learn something from every attempt, you know? Right. Um, something I wanted to talk about that is not related to folk punk uh, this week, just to cram it here in the middle of the show, is uh, this new article in The Intercept about the Strategic Response Group, or SRG, which is a rapid reaction force of the New York City Police Department, which... Um, basically is a group that they call on to crack down on protesters. And if you were in the streets in New York last summer, that's who it was. Um, so (laughs) without going and belaboring the entire, you know, article, there's just some highlights that I thought were really funny because if you, if you remember from last year, something was really funny was that you got to see the cops sort of like, I don't know, displaying their toys, you know, and, uh, uh, Doing that thing where they're like, ah, oh, time to do tactical, you know, rolls and stuff like that and sort of just just playing. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So one of the funniest, like, little units that the cops broke out last year was the bike guys. <laughs> you remember them doing their little power slides and stuff?
3: Right. Yeah. Oh. I mean, As we talked about on the show, the bike cop is a classic fixture of sort of the the woke um, police wash, pink washing of, or green washing, I guess, of police departments.
1: Yeah, because it seems like he's saving energy and stuff. Yeah. But uh, I'm gonna read some stuff from this article about the bike cop that will, I think, put him in a proper context. Bike cop is not your friend. Do not ride a bicycle built for two with a police officer. If you do, crash that shit. All right. Um, <laughs> It's just some <laughs> snippets. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Its own moves. This is Bike Cop. Their own moves, such as the power slide and the dynamic dismount, which consists of an officer <sighs> lunging from a moving bicycle without breaking speed, taking down a suspect by surprise. This is like a what manual. The There's like a manual for like moves that they teach the bike cops. I mean,
3: I, I guess good do that because I can't imagine that going well for the cop. Yeah. They're supposed to be teaching them how to
1: like jump off of a moving bike and tackle someone. How? <laughs> what?
3: That's not.
1: It's, I, I know. I've run a bike every like day. Jet Li shit. Like it's not. Well, you saw in the clip with the guy – that famous like video of the the bike cop trying to do the little slide and he's like – pulls his leg over the bike. He catches it on the seat. Like they will fuck this up. There's no way this actually works. Yeah. Um, so yeah. No, yeah. I encourage police officers to try to do the dynamic dismount because it sounds impossible. Um Quote, get bicycle up to a controlled rate of speed and aim for target while in an attack position. Swing right leg over the rear of bicycle, an SRG bike squad training module states. After step uh, after step through, place right foot on the ground and dismount bicycle. Make contact with speed and proceed with arrest or rescue. <laughs> so this Ooh. is also for rescuing people. I think it's this, this thing where you ride side saddle on one, like, uh pedal that that move and then you like jump off the bike
3: <laughs> yeah i thought i was r- one of the coolest things i've ever been able to do is when i was 20 i f- figured out how to dismount by moving one leg over the side of the of the bike and i felt extremely cool but i also almost got in several accidents <laughs> by doing this so yeah This is just a cop's
1: version of, like, the Napoleon Dynamite. Like, I (laughs) built a ramp in the front yard. (laughs) Watch me do a jump. Um, One of the unit's highly visible tactics, the, quote, mobile fence line, if you're a listener to the show, you'll remember this, used to gain ground and compliance employs SRG officers standing with their bikes across their chest, forming a line tire-to-tire and shouting, move back. The bicycle fence will advance aggressively over short distances. When a mobile fence line rakes across a protest area, it is because the police intend to make arrests, according to SRG documents. One way this happens is with a maneuver called a BLAM, B-L-A-M, capital letters, acronym, BLAM, this is the best fucking part, in the... Quote, bike lane arrest maneuver, aka the blam. Officers are instructed by the SRG documents to shout blam, blam, blam as they oh advance. My God. Like they're rugby players or something. Uh, the document outlines the procedure for scooping people right down to the clinch hold used to restrain them in emergency situations clinch maneuver is controlled uh, is control of subjects head by clinching your hands and arms behind the head of such subject uh, and bringing head against your chest the blam training module states adding a warning all capital letters do not choke hold do not block airway uh. fucking like six months and some change ago close to a year ago I guess But fairly recently this is the instruction manual of the people that we were dealing with in the streets Jesus
3: Christ. Yeah, they just need some way to deal with the uh, just enthusiasm, the over-enthusiasm that so many cops have. Like, I remember watching a video. This is, a, like, five or six years ago, but there was uh, a an arrest. There's, like, a pool party. Um, kids having a pool party. And the police guy called for some reason, I guess, noise or something. And he comes in and just starts, like, throwing these, like, preteen girls on the ground and handcuffing them uh, over, like, nothing. And cause they're like, screaming at them. And then this one cop, for no apparent reason, just does a somersault. It's, like, <laughs> on the grass. And it, it's, like, this is, this literally reminds me of, like, being, you know, eight years old and having just watched an action movie yeah. and you just need to get your excitement out. Like, they're just over... Hormoned out, roided out, over-caffeinated freaks.
1: Over-caffeinated. That's an interesting take I've never heard before. we got to keep Cops these... love
3: their donuts and they <laughs> probably get coffee with their donuts.
1: That's true. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fucking so funny. It's just like baby stuff. It's just like, look at me. Yeah. I've got a new trick. I can do a <laughs> wheelie, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, so that's your update on the uh, Bessemer situation and the bike cop's Let's get back to folk punk. I have a uh, next guest who is not really entirely fit into the folk punk genre. But as I am discovering, as I talk to more and more musicians, I don't think that's a thing many people self-identify as. I think it's one of those (laughs) things that just exists. Uh, But anyway, yeah, super secret guest coming up next. If you are a follower of me on Twitter, you will recognize this person immediately enjoy
3: rock me gasty
1: all
0: right
1: okay I am now joined by uh, my next door neighbor Mason welcome to the show
4: hey thank you thank you Jake (laughs)
1: thanks for being here (laughs) so if anyone follows me on Twitter and has seen me tweeting about this ongoing thing where my next door neighbor plays the song wagon wheel I uh, just decided to go ahead and uh, to finally just t- talk to the guy and <laughs> find him and have him on the show to complete this saga in my life.
4: The wagon wheel saga.
1: So I have to tell you, I guess my like side of all of this, which is, uh, yeah, you know, I've talked to before about how I live in this like punk loft warehouse situation thing above a factory, and um, so you know people that live here make music and stuff and we make podcasts in my room and and, or in my space and like (laughs) um, it's not uncommon for there to be loud noises and stuff all the time but the pandemic was really interesting because usually we're not all home at the same time and so (laughs) and I was splitting time between my girlfriend's place and this place and I was actually working a lot because I was like splitting all this time so I was kind of stressed out and so I was like dealing with it by uh joking about the fact that i would overhear the song wagon wheel that you were playing Talks to me. <laughs> but the thing that's so funny about it is that like i love that song it's a good song i'm like i i in fact i like so much of the music that you play i know all the songs like you were like one time i was like oh that's journey to the end of east bay that's the fucking rancid <laughs> song <Yeah. laughs> and like even some of the alt country and stuff um Actually, I learned about new music from listening to you.
4: Yeah, I think I heard you diddling on the guitar playing the <laughs> strumming pattern for Wagon Wheel. I was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Talk a little bit closer into the mic so okay. it catches. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I know. I was fucking playing heard, Wagon, wagon Wheel one point.
4: the strumming pattern. You, you do the proper strumming pattern. I just, I just strum however for like strumming at that time. But that's to... You do it right. I was like... <laughs> I'm influencing them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't, uh, I, I don't even barely know how to play guitar. Like, I just got a guitar in the pandemic because I, I was like, yeah. yeah, and I, I was like, oh, I haven't played since high school or whatever. Might as well. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I was inspired to learn the song because it was in my head so much. But I, I guess I wanted to talk to you because I wanted to, like, apologize because I, at one point I was like, like, I was just real stressed out, man, and I was yelling, like, Wag, wagon, I was just yelling the word wagon wheel through the wall, <laughs> like, you know and I was, uh, I think shut I up. banged on the wall, and I was like, <laughs> shut up at one point, and so I guess what happened is your one of your roommates, who I kind of know uh, I've met in passing uh, texted me, and she was like he like probably, you should, you should, she gave me your number, and she was like, you should Aww. you know, you should talk to him, I bet he probably just doesn't know I was just really confused, because I was like can he not hear me? So I was yelling louder and then I was like, well, now I feel like an ass. I couldn't figure it out. And then I was like, I just talked to the guy and then I feel so bad because I texted you and you were like, Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> and you were very
4: nice about it. Yeah. And I'm I very non, like I don't get pissed easily. Yeah. No, you seem like a really cool guy. <laughs> Thank you. you too. <laughs> yeah, you're stressed. We're all stressed. I know man. Sometimes loud noise, you want to go to bed and you don't want to hear shit. And then you hear shit, you're, Especially some shit you've heard a thousand times, you're like, "All right, enough is enough."
1: Yeah, well, I'm glad you understand that, but it still doesn't matter. It's like it's not even the whole story because, really, honestly, I figured out after a while that like the reason I was so stressed out is because I was going through a breakup, and I wasn't even aware that it was happening for a while. Yeah, those
4: were the worst, man.
1: Yeah, and then you just end up yelling at your next door neighbor, you know, and you're like. Bundled up emotions. Now. Right, man. So <laughs> I wanted to, first off, apologize. I appreciate that. Much
4: accepted. That's cool. No done whatsoever.
1: I also wanted to talk to you about music and stuff, and also a little bit about your life, which I unfortunately know about from The Wall.
4: <laughs> we should just call it The Wall from now
1: on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you told me you used to be in a band?
4: Yeah, I've been, I've been in like, quite a few bands. Nothing that really like got much success. Not much at all. Uh,
1: yeah. What nice kind band. of music?
4: Well, I started off doing metalcore because, I mean, I was playing guitar since I was a little kid, but when I first got a band, that's when, like, A Day to Remember and all those bands were popular. So. Yeah. I call it brocore. It's like you talk about pizza and troubles and shit and have breakdowns and make bree 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 noises with your mouth and <laughs> stuff. Uh, I've played anything from, like, country bands. I've been in rock and roll, 90s grunge bands it's It's just fun, but I don't want to do it professionally. I just get bored and like to jam out every now and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Punk rock is my main roots, like totally yeah, punk rock is it's pretty lit,
1: yeah, I mean <laughs> I, 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 I'm kind of a punk kid like at heart, but I do stand up, and so all these things you're saying like, oh, I don't give a shit if I do it professionally and stuff like that. that's how I treat what I do, exactly, but like other people in my industry are like, that's crazy, you know and I'm it's
4: like good. no, like just do just, it for fun,
1: do it for you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. um. I so we're both from Houston. It turns out, yes, sir. I have some friends down there that I'm curious if you've ever crossed paths with, because they're involved in like. It doesn't sound like you're like directly involved with folk punk entirely, but like may have you know done a show with uh, certain people. Like, do you know like Days and Days? Yes. Um, I don't know them, but I know a guy who works with. I like them. Uh, My friend Nick Zachariah does stuff with them sometimes.
4: Why does that sound familiar? I don't know. Oh, gosh.
1: I don't know. Maybe <laughs> he has this great bit. He's like a like a half like musician, half comedian guy. So he does like this thing that's really funny where he plays Wagon Wheel. He goes, uh, hey, I'm gonna, you know, close out the set with this song. I know it's kind of a cliche, and he starts strumming wagon wheel. And a lot of times at the live shows, people will be like, ah, come on, like it's like a cliche. <laughs> and he starts playing wagon wheel, but then he switches the verse halfway through to um, you just realize all of a sudden that he's singing The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because the lyrics track on the same tempo so he's like, West Philadelphia born and raised That's great. It's so funny
4: (laughs) Does he have a little bit of twang? West Philadelphia born and
1: raised (laughs) Yeah, he sounds like us (laughs) (laughs) He sounds like a garbage pail kid or whatever (laughs) Um, Cool, so
4: so yeah when did you start playing music 12 11 13 ish uh i saw the movie school of rock okay he says that sounds it's my favorite movie of all time i will fight anyone who says otherwise it's great it's a masterpiece um, <laughs> that showed me that little kids could rock out too and i was like oh that's really cool so i begged and begged and begged for like half a year till christmas time to get a guitar my mom got me a fender squire and it was over yeah. Uh, I just discovered the band Rise Against and it was done. It oh, was, crazy. It was done.
1: <laughs> my first guitar was a Fender Squire.
4: Everyone's, I think yeah. it should be. Black and white Fender Squire came with a little amp. Amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I used to know uh, one of the guys in Rise Against. He used to date my friend Ruby. Which one, Chris? Uh, what the What was that guy's name? I don't know. That was my friend Ruby's person she was dating. um, Zach? Is that his Zach name? Blair. That might have been him, yeah. Baldfeller. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Small world.
4: Yeah, Rise Against is my all-time... That's my supreme.
1: Yeah, yeah. All that, like, anthemic, like... Anthemic, street angsty, punk.
4: revolutionist punk rock. That's, that's my jam. Yeah. <laughs> that's my jam.
1: For sure, man. Um, so I... I couldn't help overhearing at one point... Because I guess you were talking on the phone with someone, like, on headphones or something. So I was hearing, like, what you were talking about. And it was so... <laughs> Like intriguing that I couldn't kind of not eavesdrop. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> no, man. No, it's cool. The walls are quarter millimeter thin. It's all right. Usually, I got headphones on and I'm working on stuff like this. And that, <laughs> but I just happen to hear that something you said about your dad one time. Yeah. Could you explain that a little bit?
4: Okay, so in layman's terms, my dad's piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> he, from what I know. No, I haven't verified any of this because. I know he's in prison, but as far as I know, he's serving two life terms. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, I don't know the exact rank, what he is, but like, he's like one of the top shot collar people for the Aryan Brotherhood. Like, he has to live in a cell by himself because he's so dangerous. And like, he's a shot collar, and it's really, really fucked up. That's my crazy. My dad's a Nazi, so yeah, fuck that guy.
1: <laughs> what was it like growing up? Like,
4: he he was in prison my whole life. I I oh, only met really? him like twice. Oh so like, wow. I met him once behind like the glass at, at a jail cell. And then he got out and then after like a month he was already back in because they caught him on similar charges, which is why he's now serving too. Yeah. Yeah, so I met him in person physically once and then through the glass once. Damn. So it was just like my mom, me, my grandma, my grandpa basically growing up. Pardon me. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a small family. Eastern Texas, Spring Branch, from Third Ward to Spring Branch. Yeah, no okay. shit, man. Yeah.
1: I grew up in A Leaf.
4: A Leaf, nice. That's yeah. a little bit nicer. Yeah. A bit, you got more woods and like nicer shit out there. I like A Leaf. Yeah, yeah. Well a lot of stuff is a little nicer than third ward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's still home though. Like, it's still like it's not as bad as people make it out to be. I mean it's bad, but like
1: yeah, that's how every bad side of every town is. Essentially, that just means white people are, like, afraid of it more than exactly. else.
4: Hey. Round of applause. Eh? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did you ever play at, like, Super Happy Funland out there?
4: Yes, that was my very first venue I ever played at. No shit. That was my first <laughs> venue I ever played at, and I've also done numerous body suspensions there.
1: No shit.
4: For, like, the hooks and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I do that, too.
1: Dude, uh, I, when I was growing up, I had friends that were in, like, Body Mod who, like, you learned from the guy who invented that.
4: Yeah, that's that's pretty much who who I got it from.
1: Was it like Tim Vigil or something like that? No,
4: it was. It, it's it's a Native American practice, but it was more modernized by Fakir Mustafar. Okay. Uh, he was he's pretty much the godfather of the modern body modification movement. And he's him and his partner Jim Ward were the guys who started it all for us, basically.
1: Not Jim Ward from Sparta. No. Okay, that's the no. name of the guy. And really, yeah, no, that's hilarious. Okay, no,
4: Jim Ward is a a leather daddy, an old leather sure. daddy who started our movement.
1: Cool. Man, Houston Super is such fun a fun
4: land. <laughs> wow. You know, they tore, you know, the intersection of Westheimer and Montrose, that huge half price books and the specs that's been there since 19, like 75, whatever, like the main strip of Montrose. They tore that down. Really? They tore down like all of Montrose. It's heartbreaking. Uh, oh, that's so tragic. Yeah. And and they're talking, you know, the Be Someone sign, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, How long have you lived in New York?
1: I've lived here for like seven or eight years. It's been a while.
4: It's over 45, the huge overpass that had Be Someone spray painted on Uh it. Uh-huh. They're making that into a Houston landmark now so it can stop getting uh, messed up.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah.
4: Just some Houston news
1: for you. You know, um, you know the heads, those big like president busts on the side of the highway. Did you ever see where they used to keep them before they put them on the side of the highway? No,
4: I sure didn't.
1: This is when I was growing up. uh, Growing up in Houston, a thing people would do is they'd go like you'd be driving around smoking a blunt or something, you know, and people would be like, um, you know, they'd go like, "Hey, close your eyes for you know for five minutes. I'm gonna you know drive. I'm gonna show you something crazy, and then you go drive, and the car parks, and they go open them and you're in this lot in fucking mantras somewhere where basically all those giant like presidential busts that are on the side of the highway now that are full and they look like statues right they're all half built and so they looked like fucked wait, up wait like, i
4: know exactly what you're talking yeah? about it's where they kept the art cars right yeah 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 yeah
1: yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. some, somebody explained it to me one right time richmond yeah. uh-huh the,
4: now the the art car museum is there Right In the place of it Yeah
1: It had something to do with the fact That the guy was building them Like died halfway through Or something Or he lost ownership so. or, That
4: sounds about right
1: Not sure the details But it was something really weird Like that
4: Oh Houston Texas man
1: Yeah So you grew up in Houston And then what brought you up here
4: uh, So I've been a here Off and on for almost 11 years And uh Really? Yeah so It's been like that And cutting hair Been like my only jobs That's all I know Yeah Other than like security at Target like That place <laughs> Um, no offense target
1: No offense uh, target
4: No offense to target
1: No I'm saying offense to target
4: Offense to target yes <laughs> um, That's my yeah.
1: own personal take
4: Yeah for real yeah My my manager called me white trash my first day there So I decided I was going to plot revenge Like my whole six years working there Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, did. I didn't do anything heinous Don't take that crazy but I did not like her She was a mean lady
1: There's nothing wrong with being white trash
4: No I'm high class white trash baby Pick yeah. me up
1: i'm a my i'm my dad's mexican but my mom is white trash specifically that type of white that's great <laughs> that's what i, I tell if, people
4: if you know anything about spring branch you know it's just about the most mexican neighborhood in houston so yeah that's my culture yeah so harvey fucked up a lot of things for my my job piercing uh-huh. and i was on a job search forum on facebook for where piercers go uh it, we intermingle I, i'm i know like thousands of piercers and this dude in New York hit me up, was like, Hey, we need someone of your capabilities. We'll pay you six figures, this, that, and the other. And I'm not going to list names of shops because I am leaving that shop because it is absolute garbage. Um, <laughs> don't go to the Bedford Mini Mall. <laughs> don't.
1: Yeah, fair. Um,
4: yeah, they pretty much filled me with false pretenses and kind of just. I'm a nice guy, so I can. I, I'm, I'm, I'm loyal, so like I stuck with it for a long time. But now I'm at my wits' end, and now my family needs my help. So it's like the perfect opportunity to go back to Texas and work at a really, really nice studio. Which, uh, if all goes well, I'm gonna be working at Shaman Body Modifications in Dallas. So,
1: cool. Yeah. Okay, right on. I'm
4: excited. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Good for you. I mean, that makes sense. You know, you got to be careful. Like when you, when you work like, at, in. I think that type of work, like, you know, cutting hair, doing tattoos, bartending, that sort of stuff. I mean, it's, you, there's not a lot of regulation. You have to be like really careful and like know control. people, you know, tr- know who to trust and stuff like that.
4: Bartending was so fun though. I do miss that. I was like non-official bartender, but I would help out every now and then yeah. at my friend's bar. And that was so fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I used to do that shit a lot. Uh, I mean, I used to work as a bartender, but I also did what you're talking about. Where'd you do... Uh, where'd you tend bar?
4: You know this place called NJ's? No. It's just a white trash hockey talk bar. The same four bartenders have been there since the 80s. The cool. Same 10 people have been going there since 1904. It's just... That's down in Houston? Mm-hmm. Cool. It's off a of Right by Northwest Mall. Cool, cool. Off, of like, Mangum and 290. Right and on.
1: So, you're not, like promoting or playing music in a band or recording or anything. you're no, just I mean, fucking... sometimes
4: when i go back to houston i'll jam out with some old like friends and stuff but i got too much work to worry about nowadays like i work six days a week yeah uh, almost 80 hours a week sometimes and that consumes my life whenever i'm at home i just kind of want to play like monster hunter and solve my cubes yeah. I'm sure you hear random clacking sounds all hours of the night. That's me, like...
1: Yeah, I no, I'm TV. doing the same thing. I mean, it's, at some point... At one point, I was like, we're watching the same TV shows. Really? <laughs> like, I think we both watched Cobra Kai and yeah. The Mandalorian around the same yeah, time.
4: Did, yeah, <laughs> uh, That was such a... God, both of those shows were so good. I know, man.
1: Cobra Kai was incredible. I'm uh, so ready for season four. Me too, man. Oh. That, like... the. I, the the part where they had an all-out brawl in the high school was one of the that funniest like, things.
4: I, would, I completely agree with those <laughs> teachers for backing out. If I saw like 80 kids doing martial arts on each other, I'd nope, absolutely not. But the turnaround in season three, like the good turnaround that we all wanted to see yeah, with homeboy and homeboy and homeboy uh-huh. and homeboy, that was...
1: That oh, was such a positive That was note so to end cool. on.
4: Because like, I didn't want to hate that guy as much as I did, but I hated him. But yeah, then I was like, oh, okay, cool, Redemption. You're not.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it feels good. I mean, it's like us, except yeah. I—you didn't hate me. I just was mad at you. But-
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, uh, so I'm—I'm I'm the asshole. I'm the Cobra Kai guy in this situation, or something.
4: I, I, I think Ralph Maggio's is honestly the asshole.
1: He kind of is, isn't he? He's,
4: he's kind of a douche now. Yeah, but I mean, like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Zach? What's what's the Johnny? Johnny. Yeah, Johnny. that's the yeah. main guy. Sweet I to want like to say Johnny. Johnny Cage. I don't know why I want to think Johnny Cage, but. <laughs> He's, he's still kind of like an 80s jockey douche, but he's a, a better person, I feel like, than Ralph Macchio is, in terms of character. Like, Yeah. I feel like he has more to offer. Yeah. This guy's just kind of an arrogant little car salesman.
1: I know. I know. He's well, he's not like his character. He's the bougie little rich guy in this situation, you know? That's why actually Johnny's like a little bit cooler. Cause he's, yeah, he's a little bit cooler. He's like working class, you know? <laughs> he's a burnout like us. Um, That's right. drop out for
4: life yeah
1: so what kind of music do you like like where is your head at right now because when i notice when you play like you kind of do this like eclectic um i was like what is it called in music terms where you do like a collage or a medley like a you kind of move through like
4: genre to genre
1: what is that fucking song that you play i swear to god i learned about this from listening to you and i was like i had it in my head it's the guy going I'm not the devil, you think that I am. That's Cody Jinx. Cody Jinx, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so you're playing like him, and then like Rancid, and then Wagon Wheel, which is like ostensibly like a folk song, but it's also like punk guys could, play he it.
4: Could, he could be, he could play that, I've played that song the way a classic rock song is played. I've played it on a fiddle. I've, I I like to genreize my music depending on my mood. If I'm feeling a little bit honky-tonk, whiskey-drunk, I'm gonna play some country music. Yeah. If I'm feeling anxious and pissed, I'm gonna it up with it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I heard you
1: guys playing Freebird over there a while back, like, <laughs> very sincerely and just fucking
4: banging it. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> we are from Texas, you gotta love Freebird.
1: Yeah, no, I'm a skinnered apologist for sure.
4: I, I don't apologize. I,
1: actually, that's a better way to put it. Yeah, don't apologize. I don't
4: apologize.
1: Uh, you no, know, it's skin, we, fucking you, rules.
4: You haven't lived until you've yelled, play Freebird drunk at a bar to another drunk guy playing guitar at a
1: bar <laughs> I was on this tour uh, a couple years ago with my friend Mishka who plays music also and so I he's the musician and I'm the comic and we tour like that and I would yell play freebird at him and, as that a boy, joke that's funny and then the the the, the joke c- came to a culmination at the end of the tour when we were exhausted and we were playing music off of a Siri and I figured out that something that made me laugh a lot was to go Hey Siri, play Freebird. Like to yell it at Siri. Oh man! <laughs> so like she's a like she she has to hear this bullshit oh god, too. I
4: hear Siri's going right now. Oh shit! Oh shit!
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! No no! Don't play Freebird.
4: Don't play Freebird right now.
1: <laughs> well, okay. So, but what kind of music do you like right now? Like, what are you into right
4: now? So it's really weird to say this, and I hate to sound like my parents, but I've had the same music taste pretty much since high school.
1: And yeah, most uh, people do.
4: Punk rock. Country, blues, rock and roll. Uh, top bands I'm listening to right now, I would say, are oh, I just discovered this really dope new band from Oklahoma City called Red City Radio. Cool. They, they are really good. Um, I was really happy to discover them. They're not even that big at all, but they should be. Uh, Rise Against, always like Rancid Cody Jinks, Merle Haggard, whatever, whatever is on my country playlist. Yeah, mainly like. Punk rock and stuff like that. I listen to a lot of Against Me. Every day. Yeah, yeah, me too. Rise, Rise Against, Rancid, Social Distortion.
1: Yeah. Do you ever listen to like Ernest Tub, like that kind of country?
4: Yeah, of course. Yeah. I would be like my my buddy, um, my buddy Adam, he's really cool. And if you're listening to this, but I doubt you are. But <laughs> he has a he has a stutter, like a a pretty heavy stutter when he speaks, but. When he sings, his stutter just isn't non-existent. And he has the most lovely country voice you'll ever hear in your life. And he's just so damn good. Yeah. <laughs> it blows my mind. And he looks like your typical Astros fan. Baseball cap, big orange beard. Just the <laughs> sweetest person on the planet. And it's cool because sometimes he'll play punk rock. And, like, I really like how musicians can not solely focus on one thing. Yeah. they be able to use their voice to do different things because – your voice is an instrument. You shouldn't just have one singular tone to your sound. You should be able to do whatever you want. If I, if I want to sing some Rush, I can hit some high notes. If I want to lose it up, just drop it down, add some rasp. Like it, It's fine. I don't know. Music is cool. Music yeah. is really cool. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. I think you're also right about that. Like, There's something like... It's almost something like immature, like when you're a teenager. Sometimes you're like, no, only punk or you know, only metal or yeah, whatever. That, like
4: I, I was kind of one of those kids when I was in the hardcore band. but yeah. like, I was like, I had to be one of those little poser hardcore kids with the big stretched ears. Like, yeah, but <laughs> expand your horizon a little bit. Like, shit, almost every night when I'm going to sleep, I listen to this damn piano song called uh, "River Flows in You." Okay, and it's just like a really pretty like piano song and it and it has like thunder and rain in the background, and like that'll lull me to sleep sometimes when i'm at work appears to lo fi music and I don't like lo fi music okay at all, but that's what I to listen to at the tattoo shop because it's mellow it everyone will stay slightly calm and doesn't keep people's energies elevated because I don't want high energy in the stop right. the shop I want them to be calm and understand that they're safe and like they don't have to feel rushed or anxious so I try to play slower, toned—not toned. That's not the right word. Slower paced yeah. music, that are classical. People hate it sometimes, but people are more calm when they're getting pierced when there's classical music playing. I do. It
1: seems to me like you have a much more three-dimensional understanding of music because you don't have like the the the, the narrow mindset that people. Put on it when they think about it in terms of being their job and a, like a professional thing and you have right. to do it one way or the other or whatever right when you like live with something you're able to use it like way more fluidly and interestingly than if you're just like you know no, I have to carve out this identity for myself i'm a punk guy i 'm a metal guy or i'm a folk guy right. or whatever
4: some days i'll wear a cardigan and fucking like a plaid hat other days I'll wear my battle vest and fucking plaid pants like
1: yeah yeah just
4: Dress how you want to dress. Act how you want to act. Just don't be a piece of shit. Be cool. Fucking A, right, man.
1: (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, the last thing I'm going to ask you is do you want to play Wagon Wheel on the show?
4: Oh, yeah, sure. Why not?
1: All right. I'll pause and we can set it up.
0: Down south, the land of the pines I'm thumbing my way in the North Carolina I'm Staring down the road, I pray to God I see it lights I made it down the coast in 17 hours I'm picking me a bouquet of dogwood flowers And I'm hope for Riley So I can see my baby tonight So rock me, mama, like a wagon wheel Rock me, mama, in a way you feel Hey, mama, rock me Rock me, mama, like the wind and the rain Rock me, mama, like a southbound train Hey Mama rock me Oh, running from the cold down to New England I was born to be a fiddler and an old time string band My baby plays a guitar i pick a banjo now Oh, North Country winners keep on getting me now I lost my money playing poker so I had to up and leave But I ain't turning back To living that old life no more so rock me mama like a wagon wheel rock me mama in a way you feel hey hey mama rock me rock me mama like the wind and the rain rock me mama like a southbound train hey Mama, rock me. Walking to the south down Roanoke. I got a truck out of Philly. Had a nice long tow. Well, he's a heading West from the Cumberland Gap to Johnson City, Tennessee, and I gotta get a move on before the sun. Hear my baby calling my name, and I know that she's the only one. And if I die in Raleigh, at least I will die free. So rock me, mama, like a wagon wheel. Rock me, mama, in a way you feel, hey. Mama, rock me Rock me, Mama, like the wind and the rain Rock me, Mama, like a southbound train Hey, Mama, rock me
1: Oh my god thank you so much thank you I that was fun ruled man <laughs> thank you dude <laughs> oh, i love that thing where you sped it up right there at the end and the whatever i
4: had, had to punk it up just a little bit <laughs>
1: yeah, cool thank well you, mason thank you so much man hey
4: thank you jake i was this was this was a pleasure this was fun
1: yeah and uh please play music to your heart's content all the time i enjoy hearing it uh, and, thank uh, you very much you know i'll see you in uh, texas someday i'm sure
4: hell yeah come down and get your ears pierced yeah get maybe your will. nipples or something yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> cool man those are Pleasure. Thanks.